0: Greetings, dear listener, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of Garmology. Um, no requests this week, I asking you to mention the podcast to your friends or share it on social media, but if you did, it would be nice. Um, I just wanted to say, today we're going straight to the top and talking about headwear, so join me for this week's episode. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. In today's episode, I am off to London to talk to a man about hats. Would you like to introduce yourself, Alan? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Nice to see you.
1: Um, my name is Alan Sloof. Uh, I am the creative director, founder, owner, however you want to call it these days, of Tom Smart, uh, which is a hat brand and manufacturers that really has its origins going back to 1786. Um, and it really encompasses two families, my
0: family and the Tom Smart family. Cuz you say you're eighth generation family business, I think. So
1: yeah, so my family's for four generations. I'm the fourth generation of that and my great-grandfather learnt the Mechanics and the skills and the crafts of hat making from the fourth generation of Thomas Smarts, uh, and they were all called Thomas. So, when it came down to actually uh, launching or relaunching the brand, uh, which was about ten years ago now, um, Tom Smart was the uh, was the name that
0: had to be had to be incorporated. All right. I often wonder about families who manage to keep it going from generation to generation. Is it sort of the oldest son? of the oldest son that sort of keeps it going or does someone have to be forced into the family business or how does it work
1: well it wasn't like that with our family so my father was the middle son and he all the brothers were were pretty much involved in the in the textile industry uh, different forms whether it's in you know shirts a lot of them were in shirts and things like that um, but my father, no, he was just, he, he was into accessories. Um, the hats, um, were, weren't his main thing. He loved gloves, which was very strange. And I, um, I, but he taught me from a young age, just how to make a hat. Um, I went into law, uh, wasn't planning to actually enter the family business, but, uh, but you know, there are twists and turns in life. And, uh, and here I am many years later, uh, as a, as a hat maker. And he himself as well, it was like he... It, it seemed to be passed down generations through passion, the, the things that the people that were most interested in it, rather than any forced issue or the first son. It's, it's not quite like succession. So
0: So the British hat industry, is there much left of it? It must have been a lot bigger eight generations ago. Oh,
1: must have been. I mean, give you an idea. My, my grandfather was actually from Iraq, so my family stemmed from Iraq. And he traveled to Luton in the 1890s to learn the trade from Thomas Smart. And at the time there were 20,000 hat makers in Luton alone in the UK. And right now I have no idea, but it can't be more than in the hundreds at most. So yeah, It's, it's, it's a totally different landscape now than it was then. But also the way that people used to buy their hats were different then um, to how it's evolved over time. So we can discuss that if you like as well. Yeah, um, yeah No. so it was almost like a, a tailoring type of thing. So you would go to your hat maker who would actually make you a bespoke hat for you rather than going to a shop where you would be you know, served with pile them high hats as, as it seems to be quite often now. Um, so it was a very personal relationship where where the hat maker, the milliner, uh, would actually you know form a relationship with the client over the years and understand the type of hat he that would suit him, what would work for his his trade, um, his face shape, the color, um, and would just make it that way. So so everyone was pretty much independent, um, and then they with the industrial revolution. Um, which is, is changed quite a lot within the textiles with the mills and everything else that kind of enabled the small scale hat makers as much as anything else, because particularly with the caps, which were always and always will be the, the, the largest in volume, um, the flat caps and newsboy caps, they would then be able to buy the, the, the fabrics from the mills at a cheaper price and at, you know larger volumes which then enabled them to provide a service to to more people so you did have that um a whole industry of just you know self-employed hat makers
0: it's interesting how you relate the hat making to the bespoke or the to the tailoring and that once upon a time a man wasn't complete without his his overcoat and his suit and his hat when did that start going downhill well,
1: if you look back, it probably started in the nineteen sixties, um, and absolutely in the nineteen seventies with the big hair. So that completely <laughs> changed things. People didn't want to to mess that up. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look back and you know you see the series like Mad Men, which was fifties, early sixties, you still had that. Um, and really, yeah, I think I think they were saying that the I, I think it was JFK was the first president that wouldn't wear a hat uh, necessarily when he was being filmed. So it was television had a lot to do with it, I'm sure, as well. So it was just a a cultural thing that that changed and and individuality came into it. So people wanted to express themselves in different ways as opposed to just wearing the same old thing. Um, Even if you look back at London and the stockbrokers with the bowler hats, that was really still pretty much going on even in the 70s and that probably not in the 80s so much, but but there was a uniform and a hat was part of it. And I think once you moved into a more individualistic way of expressing yourself, that's when hats really changed. So it
0: stopped being a go-to um,
1: and became more
0: uh, a choice. Now, clearly you're in the hat business, so you lament the old days. Do you think we as men lost something when we set aside our hats?
1: No, I, I don't lament the old days. Oh. I think, <laughs> I think um, they 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 there are pros and cons to everything. Um, I actually think with with this whether men should wear hats or not, I think absolutely. But but the style now can be very different. The, you can push boundaries a lot more than you could do before. So it's actually led to greater creativity even within a very um, uh, a very staid profession in the eyes of some but is actually quite avant-garde in its own way now. And it wouldn't have been so if we didn't have a shake-up.
0: Because I see there are still sort of millionaires working on their own coming up with new mm. things. So clearly headwear isn't a static industry correct
1: so there's some quite interesting things going on with the headwear shall we save that for a little later moment, we can save that for a little later yeah
0: so who is it that wears hats today is there a, and how do you find a hat that fits for someone tuning in now curious about whether they too could wear a hat how does that work
1: well you have you have the need to have the desire i think to start off with looking for it and that tends to come from peer groups or you know seeing something in the media or whatever just being influenced i hate saying that word but you know you are influenced by by those around you um and then looking on that i mean how do you find anything a lot of it is coming from online um and from, from peer groups or, or whatever. But, I mean, on your journey, you didn't wear hats for a while. I did not. And then suddenly, what made you want to wear a hat?
0: I think it was trying to evolve in all directions at the same time, trying to find new avenues, uh, refusing to stay stuck in <laughs> in what I had found. I mean, I did go through a, a period of quite extreme development after having not developed at all over a period of at least 20 years. So, and, and hats for me was, I mean, it's kind of obvious. You've got an area of the body where nothing is going on, but it became an issue of confidence, really, because the first time you put on a hat, you do feel awfully self-conscious.
1: And how long did that last?
0: I find it lasts about 15 minutes on average. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Oh, what, you mean every time you feel self-conscious now?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, maybe not every time, and it varies how long, but uh, I mean, I don't wear a hat every day. I don't even leave the house every day, but um, I mean, I hardly ever see anyone else wear a hat, so I'm kind of the hat guy. Well, if if
1: you go out in the winter and it's cold... Don't most people wear the hats? Uh, they don't necessarily have to be the, the fedoras or the flat caps, but everyone,
0: yeah.
1: they have a function. And I think from the functionality stems an appreciation that actually not everyone is staring at you. And I think it is it is something that you you have to overcome, partly because every morning when you wake up, you know, brush your teeth, you're seeing yourself in the mirror without a hat. So that is how you you, you actually do view yourself. But... When you wear a hat outside, if people aren't used to seeing you like that, then they aren't going to notice. It is more about you, and it is about your confidence, and that's a reality with everything that you wear. Whether it's a, if you're used to wearing monochrome colours and you go out with a suddenly with a very vibrant overcoat or shirt or, or whatever, you're going to feel self-conscious. It's just the the difference in your own internal image of yourself that you are actually projecting onto others but they don't really have that because they don't they don't really know who you are and so whether it's color or textures or 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 headwear or glasses or or anything like that it's it's more about how you feel and how confident you feel in yourself rather than feeling self-conscious about how others uh, perceive you
0: plus we do have this sort of idea that Everyone is watching us and judging us and talking Mm. about us. In reality, they don't really care. No, they don't even,
1: yeah. They have their own issues. (laughs) They think that you're watching them and judging them. So, yeah, I think that's pretty universal.
0: So, if someone came to you and said, sort of, I'm sort of thinking about getting a hat what would you suggest they sort of start out with? If I'm seeing them in person,
1: um, I I can, you know, I've been doing this for so long now, I can tell just by someone's face shape, their eye colour and everything else, just what kind of hat would suit them. So I can pretty much nail down even the sizing just by looking at them as well. That does not
0: sense well to those of us who have large heads and think. I well, I, th- I think
1: I think I think we've managed to sort you out. So it's <laughs> I think it's fine. So, um, and everyone thinks that they've got a very large head when they don't. That's the other thing as well. Everyone everyone says to me, "Oh no, hats don't suit me," or "Hats don't fit me. I've got a massive head," or "I've got a tiny head." The reality is that you know what they've probably done is gone to a, a high street store, which. Tend to the ones who don't really want to do it as a as a proper dedicated hat section would they don't want to stock all the sizes so they'll have a middle size so if you're if you try on a hat which is too small you think you've got a big head and it doesn't suit you vice versa as well if it's too big so a lot of the time it's about getting the right advice so yeah I mean I can do it you know pretty much instantly but it's um there is a hat for everyone. there's no such thing that hats don't suit you it's just that you haven't tried the right one.
0: So you said it was even down to eye color. So I mean what are the sort of eye color complexions
1: <laughs> so so I mean it's like um, you know with brown eyes I find actually a brown hat suits people much more than the blue one. it's just it's not it's not a rule it's just how I how I look at it. Um, it doesn't mean you can't. You can, of course you can. But it's it's more question of, you know, I just, I, I can try on the same style hat in four different colours, same size, and I look totally different in each one of them. Not that it doesn't look right. It's just, it, it just gives you, you look at your complexion, your eyes, because it is is very connected, the eyes and the hat. Um, because obviously it's the closest thing, apart from eyewear. You've got the hat. There's nothing else that comes so close to it, so physically. Um, So that's where I look at the eye colour as well.
0: Very interesting, because it's almost as if there is actually a science here. I often wonder when I go into an optician's and look at frames, and I'll have a a frame consultant working there, and it doesn't seem like they actually have a plan. They just drag a lot of frames out and try them on. Hmm. But it sounds like you actually have more of a, a plan here.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, eyewear is different because millimeters count. So, you know, just something a little bit different will change how you feel that you look. With headwear, it's, it can be a bit more, um, a bit more, uh, not universal, but a bit more broad in how you look at it. So, someone with a certain face shape will suit. A wide brim hat or a, a, a smaller brim hat like a pork pie, that kind of thing. The colouring as well. It's like you look at the complexion. The complexion is partly to do with your eye colour as well. So so you have a combination of things
0: that, that, that will, will fit in. But you also mentioned the width of the face. Yeah. Is that whether you have sort of chubby cheeks or <laughs> you just have a very wide face? It could be. It could be, it, it could be
1: the you know you have a, a round face or a square jaw or something like that where you know a small brim hat won't work. Whereas also if you've got a very long thin face, a wide brim won't work. So it's it's about getting uh, almost like a symmetry to it. So you don't want to have one area completely out of whack with the rest of your face shape. It's
0: kind of like bringing balance back. Yeah, that's correct. Interesting. So not every hat will fit every person, regardless of what they hope might work. No,
1: not necessarily. It is about bringing balance and a little bit of symmetry on there as well. So, yeah. So it is important. So if, if, let's say, I get a lot of people say, oh, I really want a pork pie hat. Why do you want a pork pie hat? Oh, because such and such wears them. And I think, you know... I want to look like him. I go, well, you're not him, and it won't it won't suit you, but this will suit you, and you'll look even better than he does. So so it's, it's just about that. That is very interesting. About, actually,
0: it, it's very personal. It's a, it's a personalised thing, headwear. That is a very interesting, what you're saying there, because a lot of people do have certain celebrities they'd like to look like. You want to look like Daniel Mm -hmm. Craig, so you get the Daniel Craig haircut, the suit that's a bit too tight and whatnot. But being told that you're not actually Daniel Craig, so that won't work, try something else which will work better. I mean, that is valuable advice.
1: Yeah, uh, but I think you could take that on, on board for everyone. I mean, it's like... You don't have to look like someone else. Just be the best that you can be. But it
0: would be a very easy sell if they just wanted the book by hat to look like James Bond. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it would be a lot easier to sell that, but yeah.
1: Just have to get Daniel Craig to wear book pie hats. But yeah.
0: I don't know what James Bond would wear. But life there. doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, he, he would probably wear a trilby, <laughs> but yeah. The pandemic must have been pretty hard for, for the hat business. If people were all sitting at home not thinking about hats, yeah, I mean, it's,
1: well, the pandemic was hard on everyone, so I think we have to acknowledge that. But um, it's, such a, um, it's such a labor-intensive industry that even the social distancing in the factories, when they were allowed to open, meant that capacities were right down. So it was very difficult to actually, let alone sell anything. It was very hard to actually make anything. So a lot of the factories, a lot of old factories, sadly, didn't make it through.
0: Um,
1: Which is a few in England, a few in Europe that I know of as well. Which is a real shame because these are family run, family, multi-generational factories that just didn't make it through that 2020 period. Um, And it was partly because, you know, people were at home, didn't need to go out and wear a hat. So you didn't have the demand side of it. The stores were shut. Again, the demand side of it. But even then, when things were starting to open up and people were looking to do more things and thought, yeah, um, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't mind getting a hat or something like that, a bit of a change. The um, the 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 capacities were, were, were reduced massively. So um, so yeah. So and that was. A lot of it down to the the, the requirements for social distancing, um, in on the shop floor, um, and um, and just generally, the the, the people that survived were the ones who were able to to be a bit more nimble and adapt, um, and and that's where we are at the moment.
0: There has been a lot of talk about how the pandemic sort of killed off the suit. Now the hat is kind of in the same sphere of that as that sometimes. You're not worried about that sort of people coming into the world now with a new vision and not too bothered about hats.
1: Well, the thing is, hats is such a broad term. So what's happened is that the 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 shaped hats, the the blocked hats, the fedoras, the trilbies, they. You know, we're, we're dwindling a bit. They've never been the largest part of the the hat industry. Most of it has been on the caps. Like if you can imagine, Peaky Blinders did a made a massive boost worldwide for for the newsboy cap. But what's happening now is that yeah, I mean, people aren't wearing suits so much, but they'll wear other things. So we're we're developing a lot of of more casual styles that are adapting um, from from more classic looks and and taking it more contemporary whether that's using different kinds of materials or different shapes. Um, so there's always going to be a place for headwear. And I actually feel more um, more confident that people are, are willing to, to wear them and experiment more and
0: try different things. There has been a sort of shift towards um, sort of baseball caps, truckers caps, beanies. So mm-hmm. young people aren't adverse to having something on their head sort of newer foreign styles as opposed to the older ones.
1: Yeah, so so one of the big things that we've been doing at the moment is um, is a baseball cap, but making them as opposed to, you know, a factory made one in China or something like that. We're, we're using the crafts that we've, you know, learned over the generations and using those skills to make a new type of baseball cap, which is what we've been doing. So so you have that and some bucket hats and and you know it's 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 endless really and just even the, the old cricket hat we're reinventing as well to turn it into a more contemporary uh, streetwear as well so so you, you know you you have a the whole gambit that you can do with it is from the casual to the suiting and
0: everything else so i could in fact have a, a beaver pelt uh bucket hat uh
1: <laughs> it could be done it could be done I wouldn't, but yes, it could be done if, if that's what Nick wants and that's what Nick will have. <laughs> I'm just sort
0: of wondering whether, I mean, how much of the, the old ways of working and the old materials, because we're so used to now to having synthetic materials and sort of low-grade materials. But if, if you sort of brought really crafted stuff in, well, that's what we're doing. We, we use good materials, so
1: we're, we're, we we use a lot of like wool. Um, and things like that. So but, but you know, even the cottons with the with the corduroys and the jerseys and the moleskins and, and the canvas and things like that. So there's there's all kinds of things that you can do. It doesn't have to be synthetic. In fact I prefer using natural materials. It's a lot easier to work with. So so yeah, so it's 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 about the, the craft can is still there, the skills are still there and you can still make it a a very good premium quality which will last a lifetime. Uh, and just make it for
0: with a contemporary look. Because I imagine at this point, having lost part of the industry, it must be important to actually keep an industry going within the hat making, and maybe a, a wider range modernising it is a way to do that. Absolutely.
1: So that's that's really how we look at it. I mean, I mean, one of the main things that we've been doing over the last year is actually working with other companies, other brands, and and seeing what they have, which is, um, is surplus, surplus materials, surplus stocks, anything like that. And what we do is actually use our skills, our crafts to repurpose and reuse those for them. So a large part of our business now is actually getting getting some stock that hasn't been used, which has been sitting in warehouses or shelves, um, due to whether it's due to the, the reduction in demand or changes in styles or something like that, to just take that, which is not traditional, the traditional way of sourcing materials, but actually just taking them and, and making hats um, for those brands. And that is basically 90% of our business at the moment, what has been for the last year, 18 months. Um, But also another thing that we we look at is, you know, me personally, I like to preserve the craft and the skills and I I don't look at it as a competitive landscape at all. So I'm working with micro hat makers around the world, trying to get them um, work as well and introducing it to, you know, markets that we have access to and to other brands that we have access to. So even if it's something where I know that another company or another brand or another just a single hat maker is good at doing something, I will introduce them to a company that I think would suit them. So it doesn't even have to come through us. So that preservation of skills is important to me. It always has been. It's why I've actually entered this this business.
0: Well, that sounds very good because I often think that small independents have more to gain from banding together than trying to compete with each other because in, by banding together they might actually increase the market a bit and meet, reach more people than trying to fight about a few customers in a small group. Well, the hat industry is so small.
1: There is absolutely no way that anyone should be trying to get market share we should be increasing the market through collaborations, whether, you know, however it's done, it's, it's just so small. And it's the, the we, I don't want um, the industry, the skills to be automated that it, in a way that it could be and could all be homogenized. You know, let's, let's celebrate everyone's individuality and their skills and how they've learned whether it's formal training or experience or just trying things on their own. Everyone has their place
0: and everyone should be encouraged. Given the traditional skills, is it a workforce that is sort of increasing in age or are you seeing fresh young blood come into the industry?
1: The, the way that it's developed, and I think the pandemic has probably helped in this, a lot of young people are interested in learning a skill something they can do with their hands. And I think this has got a lot to do with, it, with with what's happened in the last few years. Learning to be self-sufficient in something, learning a skill that you can do yourself. And I'm seeing a lot of young people coming into it now. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this that knows anyone that wants to do anything to so get in touch with me as well. It's like, you know, we'll help, you know, develop those skills. We'll help you make a living out of it.
0: I have, I have noticed uh, in recent years a couple of um, very much... Um, sort of home makers uh starting up which is interesting that you can you can really start up in your basement shaping hats and that sort of is interesting in two ways one is that it's actually possible to learn how to make hats and the other is that there are young people interested in it but then I, I guess once you've done your craft beer and your sourdough, <laughs> then you're sort of moving on to other esoteric uh, hobbies. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: it, it's the kind of thing that you can make it literally, all you need is steam. So if you've even got like a kettle, or I mean, it's not ideal, but you can do it. You can shape a hat. You can make things with your own hands. Um, so it's something that is within reach of, of most people um there's obviously equipment that we use that we we can we can use but sometimes even me personally i'd like you know i might as a form of relaxation walk off and just make a how ha- using very simple techniques um but then there's other you know factories which we use as well where you know there's 40 different steps of doing it which are you know not automated completely they still need some some skills involved and some handwork but um and I just think there's a place for everyone, whatever they want to, to do and try, to, to just go off and do it. And hat-making is actually a very relaxing hobby, if that's what you want to do. But it, it's also a way of of, of earning money. I did watch, It could be your side hustle. If, I, I did watch <laughs> a video after, of so. someone
0: shaping, um, shaping a hat using Steam. And it did look very relaxing. And it, yeah.
1: Well, one one of the things that is incredible about hat making, um, especially with felt, is when you you start it off, you you get a felt hood. If we're talking wool felt or fur felt, um, and then from that it stands your imagination as much as anything else. And steam has an incredible effect on felt because when it's dry, it just sits there. As soon as you introduce some some steam to it, some heat and a bit of moisture, it becomes malleable. It's like clay, which you can then shape. And then you let it dry. And then no matter what happens after that, it remembers. It remembers the shape you've you've done. So let's say you take it out in the rain, let it dry naturally, it will go back to its shape. If it goes a little bit out, out of... Um, you know, out of shape. Put a bit of steam; it'll pop back to the way that its maker intended, and that it's magical in its own way. So, I I encourage everyone to give it a go. Uh, yeah, it's a nice way of doing it, and it the memory side of it is just incredible. Um, and by the same token, it means that you can actually change it again later. So, a hat really can be for life one of the things i do is i i try and find some vintage hats or some vintage hoods which you know so we don't have to produce more of them put some steam and then turn it into a completely different shape and then you're giving new life to this old thing um so and this another thing a little tip for people if you do wear a hat in the rain don't put it on a on a radiator or anything like that because you'll you're creating the steam again and it will become misshapen. So just let it dry naturally. And uh, and that way you preserve it for longer. But yeah, a hat really is for life and can be adapted to however you want it to.
0: I often you mentioned vintage hats. I often keep an eye out for them, but they're always such tiny sizes. Did people before yeah. have much smaller heads? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: That I mean, I, I'm not even sure. I think the height of, of people has changed dramatically over the last century, and I think head, absolutely, hat sizes have totally changed.
0: How strange! It's definitely increased by a good two to three centimeters. Hmm. That, that makes sense to, relating to what I've seen. Now, you mentioned mm. felt, I often see beaver felt and rabbit felt mm-hmm. used. Yeah, is that actual beaver and rabbit?
1: So um, there's different ways that you can obtain it. We don't work with beaver ourselves. We work with rabbit felt, and people ask me, you know, did bunny die to make this hat? And I can't speak for everyone, but for ours, no, because it doesn't make sense. So what? What? It's an incredible thing to see, but what they do is that they actually a bit like if you have a dog and you brush its coat. And the fur comes off that's basically what happens so you just brush the bunnies and it's very relaxing for them <laughs> and that's how it's done whether that happens on an industrial scale with some brands i can't comment on those but for the ones that we use which are much smaller we don't do massive runs it, we make sure that it's it's yeah it's not not in that uh, it's not been sourced in a in a horrible way. Maybe <laughs> you should actually mention that you coat all the rabbits yourself. Yeah, myself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. If I if I just go around people's houses and just come <laughs> yeah. No, obviously not. Obviously not. But yeah. That sounds like Don't, a very yeah. odd thing. So we, we make sure that we where, where we source them from that they use that method rather than another one. So, but
0: yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking whenever I see beavers... I mean, there can't be that many beavers around to be um, brushing in. Serene well,
1: I don't think they are brushed personally, but I think I mean they can be they can be sourced, but a lot of them are coming from Canada, and yeah. I mean, I can t- talk to you about the benefits of each one. Um, yeah, having gone past this, but it, it's to do with the waterproof, um, the natural uh, water the proofness of them. Uh, so the beaver's um, hair is is very tightly knit. So it's it it will it, it's the most impervious to, to rain. Um uh, rabbit felt very similar, not quite as much compared to wool. So wool is not is more shower proof. Rabbit is you can wear it in the rain and let it dry. Beaver nothing will get through. So it depends on how how you're gonna be wearing it. Um but that's why it's regarded beaver is regarded as the as the 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 most um, sought after um, historically uh, for that reason
0: So which hat of the of the sort of classic hat styles, which ones have sort of fallen by the wayside and which ones are still really in use today? I'm thinking Homburgs and
1: Yeah, the, the Homburg is definitely the one which is, is like even the description of what a Homburg is is very has, has taken on a life of its own. So everyone, ours, are, we describe ours differently from other brands and things like that. But the, the Homburg, if you can think of Anthony Eden, um, Churchill, they, that kind of hat seems to have like fallen by the wayside. So our ones, we don't make them quite so narrow brim. Ours are a bit bigger. So I'm, I refer to it more on the shape of the actual crown um, for our Homburgs. Which are are easier to wear. Um, part of the issue is when I go back to the face shapes that you need to. The, the traditional homburg was a narrower brim, high crown, so it's very difficult to wear unless you've got like the perfect face shape. So what we've done is you know catered to the the the, the market a bit more, so that more people need a wider brim. So ours are a little bit wider.
0: Then you have fedoras and. Trilbies and...
1: Yeah. So the fedora will always probably be the best seller, I would say. So um, that's a, like a medium to wider brim. Um, and the crown itself, we tend to do ours as a, as a centre dent with a pinch crown, um, uh, as opposed to others who do... If you look at it, you can do a teardrop shape or a diamond shape uh, crown. Um, I find that the centre dent is a lot easier to um, it's it just easier on the eye uh, for people when they're wearing it um, then you have the trilby which is a, a narrower brim than the fedora um, which is much more British um, don't really get worn as much in, in say the US um, and then you've got the pork pie uh, made famous by Buster Keaton which is really an adap- adaptation of the old boater hat which was was the prominent style um, in in Luton, um, that was where the boater was—the centre of boater making was in Luton. So the the pork pie came from that, um, yeah. And then obviously you got all the, the 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 cut and sew caps, the the flat caps, the newsboy caps, and baseball caps, bucket
0: hats, and everything else uh, in between. That's interesting. That one British town could be the sort of centre of boater hats. Uh, that is just so spe- specific and weird. It's a bit like the <laughs> Silicon Valley
1: of, of straw boaters. It's, you know, once, once you have someone, it, you know, it, 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 its it attracts. No, uh, no, I don't think it is famous for its boating, but I think it's, uh, it's just how, how, um, how it evolved really. I mean, that when going back to, to our story, the, the, Thomas Smart, actually, the first one started in Devon, in Brixham in Devon. And it was the the fourth generation, I believe, moved from Devon to Luton because of that, because it was the centre of the hat-making trade. So it, it is like Silicon Valley. If you, you know, you you have that um, that cluster and it just expands. I guess from there.
0: similar to Northamptonshire and shoemakers.
1: Yeah, and shoes. Yeah, Lancashire and
0: the mills, so... that's where, well, both industry and the workers congregate. And that's where there's work and... hmm, Exactly, that's where the work is. Now, I do notice when I walk around town here that the most common headwear among people who are actually wearing anything else than a beanie is the flat cap. Do you have any ideas why flat caps are sort of more accepted than any other...
1: Well, they're easier to wear, for sure. So you just put it on. You don't have to, like, you know, have it, you know, whether you're going to wear it this way or that way. You just put it on. It's a lot easier than than, than a fedora. You could put it in your pocket, put it in a bag. Nothing's going to happen to it. So I think it's just an ease of, of wearing as much as anything else. It's my go-to, really, as much as anything else. So um, it doesn't fly off in the winds as well. So that's another, another plus point for it and they're more affordable. So, so that's another reason for it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like when, when I look back at the, say the 1990s when the baseball cap really was, when well, I'm, I'm look, talking from a UK perspective, when the 90 in the 1990s, the baseball cap came more from the U S and as you know, people in their teens and twenties grew up a bit, um, didn't want to wear the baseball cap, it's all gone full circle now, but they they did move towards the flat cap and the newsboy cap, particularly when it came to, to something like Peaky Blinders, which made it a bit more
0: acceptable. You don't think there's a sort of class aspect as well, that uh, sort of proper hats seem a bit more elevated and the flat cap is more...
1: Well, that's historically how it was. So, so yeah, absolutely. So, when you go back to the eighteen hundreds, it was definitely the the taller your hat, the, the the higher your status was. And you know, the working class were were flat cap wearers. So yeah. It definitely has a, a class connotation to it. I'm not sure it's really there anymore though. Uh, I was just about to ask you how tall hats can you supply <laughs> well there is a story of the first top hat being made. And, and I, I mean, I, I can't remember the names of who who did this, but they, they walked down the street and were arrested because women were fainting at the size of the hats. <laughs> now, I hope this isn't a true story, but, uh, you know,
0: if it is, then times have changed. <laughs> Clearly a very genteel society there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what would be the today's equivalent of parading around in your oversized hat, causing such distress among the dames. I can't, I can't even imagine to be honest. With you. <laughs> well, we're approaching summer. Summer hats. Clearly not for heat. Maybe wearing to cool down, keep the sun off. Yeah. What can we do there?
1: So really, you're looking at as a shade as much as anything else, and a bit of protection. Um, it's as the sun goes up and becomes more powerful. A brimmed hat is excellent to like to basically shield your eyes from the sun, um, and it's uh, yeah, just provide you with a bit of shade and cool you down that way, rather than be exposed to to the strong sunlight, um, particularly if. People are follicly challenged. That is very, very useful as well for that. Um, But it doesn't have to be um, a straw hat. You could do the same thing with like a linen cap, um, which, you know, take on if you are a flat cap wearer, then there are more lightweight materials than a wool cap uh, for the summer. colorful so i think people are more um more experimental uh when it comes down to things so you tend to see a lot a lot of people wearing panama hats but also other things as well i mean we've developed our own ways of doing things with like mesh straw and and, and other ways as well so it doesn't have to be the old traditional panama hat way um but yeah but it's it's a useful it's a useful thing in the summer
0: I will confess at this point that I do have one of your straw hats. It's like almost like a double layer. It is a double layer. I've been wearing it for years now, and it is just—it brings me such joy to wear because it just does the job so well. It keeps the sun off, but it's airy and light, Hmm. and it feels so cool to wear. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very proud of that style because no one else has done that yet. So it's it's. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Seagrass and and our vegetable fibre ones. So, yeah, I, I I quite like making for the summer because you can be a lot more playful, and you can definitely go outside the, the traditional norms. And it's it's, and I think people do appreciate that quite quite a lot as well.
0: Well, I mean, once you're wearing a t-shirt and shorts and flip flops, you have absolutely no dignity left anyway. So you might as well. go all in. (laughs) Add some dignity add some dignity then in (laughs) in that situation (laughs) There is a lot of talk about Panama hats Yeah, in certain circles, not in general but I mean a Panama hat has to come from a certain area of South America to be a true Panama hat I believe. Correct Ecuador, not Panama Okay, so they're mislabeled from the start Uh, They're not mislabeled,
1: they're They all are woven in in Ecuador, um, different parts of Ecuador. But when the Panama Canal was built, they used Ecuadorian workforce to actually do all the digging. And they were all wearing these hats. And when the photos were were taken around the world, people were referring to, I want one of those Panama hats. Ah. So... That's where that comes from and it's stuck and they are woven from
0: straw is it
1: from a toquia plant which is a yeah from a from a, a type of plant which is indigenous to to Ecuador they're different grades so if you look at a um, if you look at a hat, a Panama hat if the weave is quite broad that tends to be um, a little bit more affordable. The very tight ones are from using very fine parts of the straw, and they're all hand-woven, every single one of them. So sometimes you go for, I think, you know, there isn't a real set name for them, but a lot of people are calling it a super fino or super fine uh, Panama or a Monte Cristi, And, um, and those are just very finely woven, so take a lot longer. And that's why those ones are very expensive.
0: Naturally. The finer the fibre, the more work or the Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So summer hats, either straw or linen caps? Any other options? Linen
1: cotton linen cotton. It could be anything, to be honest with you. I mean we do a lot of things just on the um, on the cut and sew caps. Um, I mean, there's there's on the straws, there's paracetal. There's different types. So you you know you have the seagrass and there's many different. It's basically any kind of vegetable fiber that can be woven. Can you know that you can make? So there are quite a large range of things, and each one have their own properties. Um, and then you've got the caps, which can be made from you know any fabric at all. So the most popular are
0: the linen and the, and the cotton ones so talked about summer hats good options there where do you see thomas mart going forwards now what what is in the future
1: so the way i'm kind of looking at it now is is really to expand our headwear through collaborations and private label work um as I mentioned earlier, the sustainable route is to go down with, with other brands and other companies who've got surplus material, surplus stock, or even if they don't, we can source it for them to create things from th- from those items that have already been produced. So we don't need to have new production for everything. Um, for example, I had one one company that had a lot of dead stock of trousers. Wrong shape, wrong sizes, wrong color. And they didn't know what to do with it. So we took them. We cut them up and turned them into caps. And they sold them. So this is something that they were considering, you know, destroying or landfill. And I just said to them, look, you can make money from it. So... Sustainability doesn't mean a cost it can actually mean a revenue as well so so if anyone out there is, is you know sitting there looking at things that they have fed up the scene or whatever we can turn that into something more profitable and it is better for the environment because it has already been made we are very low uh energy usage when we come down to, to making our things how how making is basically like that especially when you're doing it in a craft way um and yeah so so these are the, the the ways i was looking at this before the pandemic doing collaborations with brands and doing this just just working on on a more sustainable way of doing things The the pandemic changed it a lot of our collaborations which we'd lined up couldn't be done and sadly a lot of them didn't make it through either so you know what we're looking at now is is not so much the collaborations although we have a few being lined up going forwards but it has all been about trying to almost you know save companies money keep them going we keep going and it's just a, a, that form of collaboration. So, so making private label work, so, so bringing in headwear to a clothing company or, or something else. And if they've got things left over that they aren't being used, a lot of like tailoring companies, you know, for example, it takes three and a half meters to make a suit. There's always bits left over. They don't know what to do with it because they can't make another suit. So, we make hats for them. So, everything is being used to the end.
0: Does it open up the interesting option that if you order a suit for an extra hundred pounds you can have a flat cap of the same material? Correct. Exactly. So
1: we've done that quite a lot quite a lot as well. So we do work with some tailors that um, you know if they're making a bespoke suit, you know, and they do want something not necessarily to wear at the same time, but because um, that might be a bit overkill. But um but yeah, it's something that they can they can get a cap made as well. And really the the the, the cost element of the material has is, is already been taken care of. So, so it's a lot cheaper than going off and having to to make a fabric up to actually make these things. So it becomes more affordable. So you're getting a, a luxury item really um, for a much more affordable way than it would be if everything was was started from new. And that's how I see things. It's like everything has already been produced do we really need to make more
0: that is an area that doesn't really get enough focus i mean one thing is this the rolls of fabric left after stuff has been made the dead stock fabrics the other is the sort of piles of clothes made that go unsold then there's all the vintage almost new vintage that is lying around the place ready to be Hmm. shipped off somewhere where you don't need to think about it anymore so i mean if the loop can be tightened up there and things can be reused or even merely used. That has to be a huge gain.
1: Absolutely. There's. there's
0: I think every company
1: would want to do that. It's not. It's not something that is. Um, that is a cost. I think a lot of people are looking at it. Oh, it's a cost. You use the word sustainable. It's a cost to a company. It's not. It's actually a way of of reducing a cost. So you don't have to worry about how do you dispose of it, storage costs and all these things. You just turn it into something that people want. You're turning something that people don't want or don't need into something they do. And it goes the same with the vintage and recycling and everything else. But, you know, there's ways of just repurposing things. I mean, for an example, Christopher Rabin was making things or is making things from, like, you know, used um, parachute material. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's being able to repurpose things for which are designed for other uses
0: into into other things which can be which can be enjoyed, and especially if it's something that people need rather than that they just want more of. I mean, you you could exactly. be making limited edition sneakers or something where people just yeah. collect them. They just have to have them, but don't actually use them or really need them.
1: Indeed. It's. Um, I, think it, I think people are moving down that, that road where it's not about the fast fashion, the disposable. Not everyone can do that, though. Some things, but it's, a, it's trying to make something useful, which is more affordable. And the way to do it is in the repurposing and the recycling, in, not in a taking plastic bottles and turning it into something else, but actually just taking the clothing. Cutting them up, making something else, you know. It doesn't have to be hats, even. It could be anything, but it's like things shouldn't just be destroyed or put in landfill. They should be repurposed, or like you know, donated or whatever. People, you know, that happens, and it's a good thing that 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 the life of a garment should be extended as much as possible that, before we start looking at making something new.
0: It's interesting when you say that a hat can be for life. Because as business models go, that doesn't sound like a very sound one unless Oh, it's a terrible it's a terrible (laughs)
1: business model. But it is the way it should be. And our hats are genuinely for life. There's no reason why it wouldn't be. The only thing is is that if you like it, you know, and you want it in a to match a different colour coat or if, you know, one is for winter, one is for summer. But the idea is that they should last a long time. And it's down you know, it's a problem that, that that I need to face by creating something completely different. So,
0: and that's that's fine. So had, I'm quite happy to had, do had that. you introduce a dozen different colours every season just to keep the? Well, I
1: don't even I don't even want to do that. I mean, the way I want to go forwards is just keeping a core collection of things which we have, and the rest of it, just um, doing something a bit more interesting and exciting, limited editions, um, and go that way. And and to be honest with you. A lot of the times, um, you know, if people are prepared to wait a couple of weeks, then we make to order what they want, rather than um, having to make in advance and just hope that people are buying what they want from that. Especially with different colours and different sizes, you have to to really like keep quite a lot of inventory, which I don't want to do, and I haven't been doing. So That's why I'm concentrating more on private label work, but we're creating collection for next summer, uh, for next winter, which is more on having a core collection, which we can make quite quickly, so within a week or two, uh, rather than uh, making them in advance um, and doing it that way uh, and and giving some customization options so people get what they want.
0: Um, so that's really how I see things going forwards. I'm sort of lost in thought now thinking, what sort of customization options might people be be requiring oh, ribbons
1: the way you finish things off colors um you can you can the way you construct a hack can be done in so many different ways so whether it is the brim width or even how you finish the crown um you know the size of the ribbon the color the 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 way you finish off a, a, a you know a bow or a loop or there's there's all kinds of things that can be done so so yes yeah, so i'm i'm you know beavering away with a collection now for for the autumn which um which should address all of that without having to do too much um uh you know without with having to provide too many options for the for the consumer but which does provide them with that some i have to leave it there because i can't really go <laughs> much more than that on my little trade well,
0: secret but yeah yeah it won't be Beaver, but yeah (laughs) um you mentioned size how do you determine what size hat you need i had a a guy ask me when i said i was having you on the podcast and he said his, his sort of head size had changed after he cut his hair that's true
1: can happen so um you the way to do it is take a tape measure or a piece of string put it around your um, your forehead about a centimetre above your ears, so just where you would feel comfortable with a hat sitting. Do it fairly tightly, quite snug, but not too tight so that, you know, just just so that it feels comfortable and it's not going to fly off. And then you know, you know what that is, you know, in the, in the UK it's, we basically work mostly off centimetres now. Um, in the US, they, you know, it's, it's by all traditional hat sizing. Um, and that's how, how you do it. And yeah, if you're going to have a haircut, expect it to uh, to either be too loose or too tight if uh, when it grows back. So it depends on when you do it. So factor that in. Yeah, yeah. It's not for long though. I mean, that, that that the reality is your hair grows quite quickly, so it's not really going to be.
0: Once a hat is made, though, does it keep its size or will it expand a little over time? It kind of takes the
1: shape of your head because everyone's. We haven't got circular heads, so we have everyone has a very different shape head, so we can't make it according to that unless you've got something an old machine called a conformator, um, which is a, a, looks like a medieval torture contraption, but is actually a way of actually uh, measuring your head in every single you know point of it. Um, they don't make those out anymore, unfortunately, but, uh, but a few, you know, the high, high brands do have them and can make according to that. But generally speaking, um, you make a hat, but it's, let's say, for example, you're a 58 centimeter head. It might be wider in the sides or, you know, wider at the front or the back. So you're always going to have a bit of a gap as you're wearing it. It will actually take more of your shape um, of your head so um but with sweat and everything else the the the, the ribbon inside can contract so you, there are things like hat stretches that can be can be uh, used for that so it can go be be it can fluctuate a bit um but it, but you can just you can bring it back to its normal size um if you if you need to um another way as well is just by by as I was saying before, with the, with a the steam, if you use a bit of steam, it also pops out again. If it does get a bit tight, yeah.
0: something that comes to mind now is um, the yearly menswear extravaganza, or I suppose by by yearly it, it pity. Yeah, it, it, that must be one of the places where you see the <laughs> most sort of densest use of hats in one single place every year.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were exhibiting there for, for many years, for about a decade now, um, until the pandemic. And I've, it's been quite interesting seeing it develop, the peacocks on the outside. So, yeah, I mean, that's when, when I first um, showed it and there were people coming for the first time to pit, pity. They'd come straight at me and say, oh, we want a hat just like the, the people outside, um, just to emulate the peacocks. that. It went a bit OTT, and it is um, it became a a bit of an embarrassment, if you ask me. But it has like seems like it's toned down a bit again now. Um, But yeah, I mean, Italy is one of the 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 main um, producers of hats in the world, anyway. So the headwear there is, you know, it it is a bit more ubiquitous than it is here. Um, But yeah, it, it was. Hats were synonymous with pity um, for many years. Uh, Probably still
0: are. Do you think that, I mean, photos from pity were spread widely, are spread widely. Do you think that has a sort of greater effect among men and women that seeing fashionable, well-dressed, beautiful people wearing hats makes more people want to wear them?
1: Well, it makes them more acceptable. If you're seeing something that you think that looks good, you're not going to be, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you're not going to feel as self-conscious if you've already seen all these beautiful people wearing hats. You're not going to feel quite so bad. You're not going to feel as if you're wearing something out of the ordinary. So it does make it more acceptable. But I go back to it. I mean, it's like, you don't need to look like Daniel Craig.
0: You can be yourself. So... Well, I mean, not everyone thinks Daniel Craig actually looks fantastic, but... (laughs) Well, yeah, we're just using him as an example. Apologies, Brad Pitt. Yeah, 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 he does. Yeah. But does he have the face for it?
1: I think Brad Pitt has the face for everything, (laughs) according to a lot of people. So he actually does. He's got uh, the the perfect shape for a hat. Uh Ah,
0: Because I often think when people say that... It's an oval
1: shape. He's got, like, he can wear any style of hat. And there's quite a lot of people out there that do have that. Yeah.
0: So, Because I often think when people say that some celebrity or other has such excellent style, whether he's still alive or dead or whatever, hmm. but I often think that they're not really commenting on the person's style. It's really that this person is above conventionally attractive, a beautiful person, and that's what they're commenting on. He could have been wearing a bin bag and would still have got rave reviews
1: yeah maybe i think you know being well tailored and well well groomed does help i think brad pitt in a in a in a bin bag not sure about that
0: well he has been wearing some quite bin baggish stuff recently (laughs) yeah 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 that's true (laughs) i think it's easy though to be sort of blinded by the celebrity and uh i mean i this is go way off topic, but uh, I see these sort of red carpet reports from various stuff in Hollywood, and people are going, "Wow, fantastic outfits!" and it's like, "What?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can get. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know whether it's my age, but I'm finding that as well. It's like, yeah, no, that's not that's not really that nice. <laughs> but you know,
0: do you think maybe there might be a return to um, older styles of things once? People run a bit tired of uh, synthetic outerwear and slim jeans. and
1: Well, everything has its time again. So, yeah. I, I just think that there's there's all the different tribes now. I think everyone, you know, feels that they, they should be able to wear whatever they want, really. And I think I do see, as you... As you change as a person, as everyone grows as a person, their style will change accordingly. I don't think, I mean, a lot of people do feel like they get stuck in a rut. Um, and I think, I mean, yeah, suiting has has been affected by working from home, etc. But, you know, you look back at past pandemics and past crises, it all goes back to normal eventually. It's a question of what that normal will be. And I think more than anything else, it's more about comfort. But the style is still going to be... People will still want that style, but it'll have to be very comfortable. Yeah. I think that is something that has has definitely changed in that people aren't willing to suffer for how they,
0: how they look. No. A sort of recurring topic on the podcast has been... The, the cosplaying aspect of getting dressed, and uh, I do have mm. one coming up now where they're very heavily into the sort of revival scene, and I guess the revival scenes must be also quite a, a vibrant market for for headwear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's you've got the the Goodwood festivals and the tweed runs that I know that you're you're partial to. So it's um it's very much you know it's it's nostalgia. And nostalgia takes you to to good places, and I think it, anything that is associated with that is always a good
0: thing. Yeah, I suppose that's that's sort of good for business, but it doesn't bode well for the future. It must be more interesting if you could actually bring headwear into the future, as you were talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't erase the past; you just build on it. So the past. Is the past, but it's also the present. And we're just adding layers to it all. But they all exist. They don't nothing has to be consigned to history.
0: When we were talking before I hit record, you mentioned how business had changed after the pandemic. That it was now more about getting the deals, making the orders. It sounded to me like some of the seduction and romance had gone out of meeting new people.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that, um, yeah, I mean, we were hit with a, a bit of a brick, weren't we? Um, the way we interact with each other. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've noticed that, you know, it was traumatic for everyone. And I think everyone has has suffered from it and haven't quite recovered, no matter what some people might, might you know, say that they feel. But yeah, I mean, beforehand it was, you know, you would meet people regularly. You meet loads of people Um, when you come to, you know, creating something for someone, you know, for other brands, because, I mean, we've always been very strong on on private label work. So when I would meet a brand, it would be, you know, quite a social thing. We'd meet, you know, many times in different environments and just build up a relationship. And now still get that from time to time. But what I've noticed is a, a lot of like, let's just get down to business. Let's just. Deal with it. I think people's are struggling with the social aspect of, of business uh, as much as anything else. I think people have um, struggling to to converse in a in a in the same way as they did before. I think I think we all have. Um, I mean, even now I'm, I'm struggling with the words because I'm not I'm not used to speaking as much <laughs> as I was before. So. Um, yeah, I'm sure my vocabulary isn't quite as extensive as it was four years ago, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely the events aren't there quite as much as they were before. Even when I went, I went to Pissy this January and used to be events all the time. And there was only a few, it's like people aren't are, are there, but they're not really there, uh, for a lot of things. And it's like, even like in London, you know, it used to be something on all the time, you know, you were guessing you know this launch party or, or that event for this or that or whatever, and it's just um, look they are, they still exist, but they're not quite as they were before, and it does feel as if um, it's it's not as natural uh, as it was before, uh, which is a shame and hopefully will over time get back to to, to normal.
0: Do you think they're seeing the same thing in the consumer market?
1: In what way? People
0: aren't sort of used to coming back to shops, uh, that people are more accustomed now to ordering online with very little interaction. I noticed last summer when we were in the UK how many empty shops there were. Uh, It all seemed a bit sort of down. and, And, And I was wondering, has the sort of consumer market also been affected in a similar way? well I, I
1: think we had that massive obviously peak in in online um during the lockdowns but i do feel that people want to do more in person shopping than than online i think also deliveries are not as as timely as they can be unless you're with amazon prime or something like that which you know which isn't really great for for the rest of us but um but yeah i i think um I think people still want the in-person. I mean, the fact that the shops are are closed is, is more of a, a macro indicator. Um, rents and rates are high. Footfall isn't there. People are still recovering financially from the pandemic. Retailers were shut for a very long time. Um, hospitalities has struggled <clears throat> a lot as well. So lots of pubs and restaurants aren't... aren't there anymore or not doing the business they were but there, I think there is still a hunger to to have that sense of normality people do want to do it but they can't afford it you have to be a lot more selective in what you're doing and what you're spending on inflation is you know has been a real you know headache for everyone more than a headache but you know so and I think people are just being a lot more selective in what they can and can't do which is probably going back to, to, to the, the, the whole thing about how people just want to get on with doing their business because there isn't the time, there isn't that that flexibility to really you know, take risks or anything like that. So people just want to make sure that they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to think about uh, there because I keep going back to the fact that online has really... Cause a lot of problems for the smaller retailers because it's so expensive to do it well, and unless you're huge you don't have all the benefits that the huge guys have I'm selling points like free shipping or the free shipping and free returns and all this but if you 're small you're just it's just a heap of extra work to try to do it
1: but well, it's, it's it's not just that it 's also because there was this big explosion on online. The people that made money were, were Facebook, Instagram. It's it's the online advertising, Google. And really all that happens is that the profit goes there. So it's something that I, I mean, we, we did very well during the second lockdown in particular. We sold a lot of our stock, hardly had anything left. And I just decided, you know, I don't really want to go down that road. Road. So we went more on the private label, less on having stock, Um because, you know, who is really earning the money out of that? I think it's very difficult to, to, to be profitable as a small company with, a, with, you know, if you've got an advertising budget, it's very small. It's not really going to get you anywhere. So you need a massive budget to get anywhere. And even they are, are really struggling. So you have the, big, the bigger retailers who are, are not profitable. And really, I think nowadays, whereas before the pandemic, it was all about growth, now it's really about profitability you've got to keep your costs down um and make sure that you're, you 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 can build something that is sustainable that is organic rather than chasing after something and going after that market share and going into a bidding war on online advertising it's it's not an arms race is how i look at it so i I'm, I'm quite
0: happy to be a bystander when it comes to that yeah. that has also meant that uh the sort of advertising message has changed a lot in recent years. Uh, I mean, every time someone says sustainability now, it doesn't even make a little sort of positive ping in my mind. It's just, no, it just makes me suspicious about yeah. are they just saying it or do they mean it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always say I, it's not about... Something I've always had an ethos within the company is that there's no virtue signalling and uh, and there's no box ticking either. So if you're talking about sustainability what do you mean by that? What do you really mean by that? I mean, it is about actually sustaining things. Yeah. It's not just about saying oh it's not greenwashing or anything like that. So it's not about planting trees because you've, you know, gone on a flight or anything like that. It's you know trying to keep to keep things going in a in a much more organic way rather than chasing after something and, you know, trying to say that you are this or you are that when really you're not.
0: And also, sustained, or sustainability can mean two quite different things, whether you're a large company with wanting to sustain shareholder profits and whether you're a consumer wanting to sort of take care of the planet. And that's something that doesn't really meshed together very well no,
1: no way. well the, the thing that made me laugh the most was the uh, the recent world cup in Qatar being referred to as the first world cup which was net zero now I'm not quite sure how that was achieved in a in a real world Rather than a theoretical
0: one, I think that all comes but, down no. to buying all these carbon offsets from these fake companies you know. uh, selling. <laughs> I didn't want to say it because it's your podcast, and I don't want any lawyers involved in this. But yeah, <laughs> well, I think that has yes. been firmly established that uh, I mean, carbon yeah. offsets are a scam anyway. So, um, like, exactly. So, so, much so, with, so that's I mean, exactly. So that's
1: that's why when we're talking about sustainability, yes, it can mean that, but it doesn't. So be honest and be true.
0: The easiest way to be sustainable is just to say that you are sustainable and not do anything more about it. Because yeah. most people won't ever question it. Or how how can people say that you're not? The thing is, as you were saying, it's like,
1: who doesn't say they're sustainable? Who says the word unsustainable these days? It's just It's just a word
0: that is, you know... It has lost all meaning. It was difficult to define before... Anyway, it started out easy, then the Wikipedia page became huge, and now it's lost all meaning. So you really, yeah. we need a new word, which will then be co-opted by brands again. And There we go. <laughs> no, what I really wanted to say when, uh, about online was that I visited a couple of shops in the UK last year, and it struck me how much more satisfying and different actually going into a really nice shop was. And how it, apart from being an experience, also meant how much less you'd buy. But the stuff you bought was more considered and satisfying. Because you'd go in, you'd look around, you'd see something, you'd feel it, you might try it on, and actually pulling out your card and paying for it was that much harder, so you were a lot more certain about it. But buying stuff online, you're just reading the descriptions, looking at the nice photos, and it's just way too easy to spend money.
1: Yeah, it can be. And I think the returns rates have skyrocketed. I understand that, you know, a lot of companies are now charging for returns as well. It's something we never really had. We had a very, very low return rate historically. You know, going back, you know, all the way from when we opened our first online store it was, I think it was around about 2004. So, always had historically very low return rates. So we're talking about 1%, 2%. Um, so, But, you know, when in clothing in general, you're looking at potentially 50% return rates. That's, that's not really, that's not a way to actually um, run a business. I mean, I know a couple of, you know, other brands where they get an order online and it's the same item in like three or four sizes and they know they're going to lose money on that. So, because, you know, people haven't, you know, they can't tell which size they're going to wear. They know that at least three, two or three of those are going to be returned. So, you know,
0: in the meantime, that's what happens. So, yeah. And it depends what happens with the returns, I hear. I mean, some of these big, really big places, the returns are basically just scrapped. Thrown away, yeah.
1: So, it's another... Another thing, another problem, another headache that has to be dealt with, because that can't carry on.
0: Do hats help against headaches?
1: Uh, I'm not making that claim, no.
0: <laughs> it just <laughs> no, I, I, into my head. This is not medical advice, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it um, can help in the summer heat. It can. So,
1: yeah, I mean, look, he um, needs to be sensible. And a hat is not medication. But yes, absolutely. If you're out in the heat, and a hat is much better for it's much better to wear a hat than not wear a hat. Um, but you know, if you're feeling unwell, go inside, have a cold drink. You know, have a lie down. A hat won't won't <laughs> stop you from getting sunstroke. So
0: okay, I think that sort of brings us nicely to uh, towards the end. Is there anything you'd like to mention? Any future plans for Tom Smart? Anything? Do to- no, I think I've covered most of it. It is,
1: it is basically about our our collaborations going forwards, um, making things which are actually wanted rather than things that we um, that we think might be wanted. So it is, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned before, we're I'm creating a collection of you know quite core items which are going to be always uh, available. On a short lead time, um, and and then our, our work with private label, uh, making use of, of excess stocks if possible, um, and then also our, our work with with other hat makers and hat manufacturers from around the world, trying to to in in you know keep all of that skills going and helping people to, to earn a living. From it, um, and just bringing to light, you know, it could even be a very historical brand, for example, that we're working with in Japan, which are very much just, you know, working within the Japanese market, do amazing things, which will we're helping them bring to market, you know, in Europe, in the US, and, and things like that. So there's there's a few few a- avenues to go. The main premise is is really that we want to keep the trade alive, keep the skills alive and develop it further and not let it die out. And when will we see
0: a uh, Harris Tweed Homburg?
1: Harris Tweed Homburg?
0: Well, it can be done. Can it? it can be done. Yeah, I think
1: I, I think I may well have done a concept one of those a few years ago. So just to, just to like whet your appetites, you take a felt hat, like a proper felt, and cover the crown... And the and the brim with the Harris Tweed. I, I'm pretty sure I've I've
0: created one of those. Wow, you heard it here first.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe. Well, maybe maybe that's one of those that I'll, I'll reintroduce. Because oh, sounds... the reality is, I've got I've got a, a back catalogue of, of an archive of probably about two thousand different
0: styles. Wow. So, so yeah, so there is a lot there that I can Brilliant. draw on. Okay, Alan. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thank
1: you, Nick. And, uh
0: bye-bye for now and that's all for this week's episode of Garmology if you'd like to check out my guest further there's links in the show notes there's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee she's perfectly optional I'm just pleased you're listening if you'd like to get in touch suggest a guest just let me know what you think it's uh welldressedad at gmail.com you can follow me on instagram as welldressedad so until next week bye-bye